Hi, and welcome to the Raven New Testament Church podcast. You are about to hear a powerful message. We hope that you are blessed and encouraged by this message today. Hey, New Testament Church, Assistant Pastor Tony. Just want to try to keep uh, Sunday School class going while we're out for the next week or two. So for those of you that are in my Sunday School class, I'm going to be picking up where we left off uh, last Sunday and then uh, kind of continuing on. We're studying through the book of Acts and we're, uh, we're in Acts chapter number three currently. Uh, for those of you who are not in uh, my Sunday school class typically, uh, welcome to follow along with us. I will, uh, after this gets posted, I'll, I'll post some pictures of uh, the study guide that we're using so that you can kind of follow along uh, with the study. Uh, so we're in Acts chapter number 3, and uh, we're just going to pick up at verse number 1. It says, Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. So we've just come out of Acts chapter number 2, where we've had uh, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, uh, the resulting church that's beginning to form. Uh, Luke is going to take us into a specific miracle Uh, that's performed through the apostles almost immediately after uh, the day of Pentecost. The phrase went up refers to uh, the spiritual priority that Jews placed upon the temple uh, and the place there of uh, Jerusalem and its place in the world. Uh, The fact that they're visiting this temple indicates that Peter and John continue to identify as Jews as well as Christians. Uh, It's kind of important to understand they didn't completely um, do away with their Jewish heritage or any of those things now that they were converted to Christianity. However, uh, understand they're not going to the temple to do daily sacrifice and those kind of things that uh, uh, that the Jews would have done, but um, they are going, it says, at the hour of prayer. Uh, so they're going to the temple to pray, to seek God, to continue to, to grow in their new walk uh, with the Lord. The uh, the ninth hour uh, is another way to say for us today about three o'clock p.m. That was a kind of a specific time that they would go to the temple uh, to pray. Verses two and three says, And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. So Luke provides us a detailed description of this particular man's condition. Uh, He's been lame since birth. Uh, We find out later in chapter number four that this man is is over 40 years old. Uh, And so he's been lame uh, since the day he was born. And so you could imagine all of his adult life, he's had to rely on someone to carry him to the gate or somewhere in the city uh, to, to beg for money, basically, to to be able to support himself and provide for his daily needs and those sort of things. So uh, as the Jews are going in and out of the temple, it's obviously a a pretty good location for him to set up um, and uh, ask alms or ask for money uh, for those that are going in and out of the temple there. Uh, Up until this point, this man had no other options. Uh, This was really, this was his, his daily, the daily grind that he had to go through uh, in order to survive, uh, he was relying basically on other people's compassion 
in order to live. Uh, not not a very pleasant way to uh, to uh, to survive. Verses uh, four through five says, and Peter fastening his eyes upon him with John said, look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive uh, something of of them. Most people probably passed him by. They probably saw him every day. Um, They probably got tired of seeing him. Um, And probably most people ignored him, didn't pay much attention. So when a couple of guys like Peter and John come by and actually look at him uh, and, uh, uh, probably got excited, expecting that he was going to receive uh, some money, uh, something to, to take care of, as we said, his daily needs and those sort of things. Um, but there was, you know, uh, there was something else that this man needed, uh, and Peter and John discerned that through the Spirit. Uh, it wasn't just money. Money would get him through the day. Um, enough money might get him through tomorrow. Uh, but he was going to have to come back to this place or somewhere in the city and beg for money day after day after day for the rest of his life. But Peter and John had something inside their hearts and lives that was uh, greater than any silver or gold or money that that could be provided. Uh, They had had a solution to the problem, um, not just uh, to treat the daily symptoms of the problem. So uh, verse number six says, Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Uh, Peter and John did not have any money to give him. In truth, the man, as we said, didn't need money. Uh, his inability to work, to support himself, uh, led him to the humble position of beggar. Um, but lack of money was just a symptom of the problem. Peter and John got to the root of the problem and offered the lame man healing through the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, we know that the apostles, the disciples, had been given this authority by Jesus. Mark sixteen eighteen says uh, that uh, we shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. That uh, applies to us uh, today just like it applied to them uh, back then as well. Um, so empowered by the Holy Spirit, Peter and John boldly proclaim healing over this man in the name of Jesus. Uh, and it's important for us to understand we still have access to the same power. Uh, We can still see miracles and healings take place. Uh, That's why it's so vital for the church to seek for and operate in the fullness of the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, A church, regardless of the size or apparent success, which is not operating in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, is a powerless church. Uh, And so uh, we don't want to be a powerless church, New Testament church. We want to pride ourselves on being a church that's full of spirit, full of anointing, full of power of God uh, that can... uh, uh, touch hearts and lives and see people change through the power of the gospel. In the Middle Ages, during the height of the power, prestige, and wealth of the Roman Catholic Church, an humble monk and Roman Catholic cardinal were walking together uh, along a path. The cardinal pointed to the beautiful buildings and the opulent surroundings and said to the monk, We no longer have to say, Silver and gold have I none. The monk replied, but neither can you say in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. That's not what we want to be. Um, we don't want to be a church that's just beautiful on the outside and um, looks good from a distance. We want to be a church that's on fire for God and powerful and moving and operating in what Jesus Christ would have us to do. Verse number seven says, And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. 
Uh, so notice that the, the lame man was not healed until Peter said, rise up and walk. Uh, he took him by the hand. He lifted him up. You know, it's one thing to say to someone, God can heal you. It's another thing altogether to say, rise up and walk, and then take them by the hand and lift them up. Uh, it took some supernatural faith on the, on the part of Peter and John uh, to do that. Now, in fact, we could probably say that Peter operated in the gift of faith. Uh, we can read that in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. Uh, we can do the same thing today. We can operate in that same gift of faith. The Holy Spirit can work through us, uh, speak through us, and use us to pray for others and to, and to see them healed. Again, Luke gives a detailed description of these events. He tells us that his feet and ankle bones receive strength, which indicates, at least in a general sense, that the cause of this man's condition um, had something to do um, with uh, the condition of his feet and ankle bones uh, when he was born. We know, as I said from uh, later on in chapter number four, that he had been in this condition for some 40 years uh, from his mother's womb. Uh, the Greek terms that Luke uses to describe this are, are medical terms. Uh, which which leads us to know understand Luke being a physician, uh, the one who, who wrote the book of Acts uh, and the gospel of Luke. Verse number 8 says, And he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. Now, I can just imagine what is going through this man's mind. For over 40 years, he's been lame. He's not been able to walk. He's had to beg for his living uh, every day of his life. He's had to depend upon... Uh, the compassion of strangers and, and people that pass by him in Jerusalem uh, to survive from day to day. Uh, and, and immediately, um, through the prayer of these two individuals and by the name of Jesus Christ, he is miraculously healed, able to get up, not only just stand up, but he's able to leap up and he's able to jump up and down. He's able to praise God. Uh, this is a life-changing event. Uh, from this man. In fact, we can't call him a lame man anymore. We have to call him a healed man uh, after this. Um, he immediately jumps to his feet. No doubt he felt the power of God enter his body. He entered into the temple. Um, you could imagine if something like that happened to one of us, first thing we're going to want to do is tell somebody. Um, and uh, certainly what he did uh, as well. He also gave praise to God and uh, for what God had done for him. So let's Let's follow that man's example. God has done so many things for us. He's healed us, and he's answered our prayers so many times. Uh, let's don't forget to give God praise when he does heal us and when he answers our prayers. Uh, let's praise him more than we ask him uh, for our need. It's something Sister Rhonda uh, mentioned to us in, in a service several months ago, and I want to I keep that in the forefront of our minds. Let's don't, uh, let's don't forget that. Let's praise God. Uh, after he answers our prayer, just as much as we ask him for that uh, that prayer in the beginning. Verse number 9, uh, verses 9 and 10 uh, say, And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they knew that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. They were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. So the people immediately recognized who this man was. They'd seen him there time after time after time. They passed by him. Probably many of them refused to give him anything, refused to offer him any money. Um, so they're obviously um, surprised, marveled, uh, filled with wonder and amazement at what's what's taking place. How could have this, this man just get up and walk? How is he walking around in the temple? Uh, what has taken place? Um, and so... 
you know, these questions must have been on the minds uh, who witnessed uh, this, the people who witnessed this um, and, and that miracle that day. And it caused them, as the Bible said, to be filled with wonder and amazement. Verse number 11. And as the lame man which was healed held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's, greatly wondering. So a crowd began to gather around Peter and John and the healed man. Uh, miraculous healing such as this will draw a crowd. The problem is that a crowd does not always result in converts. A lot of those people uh, just wanted to see what was going on. They were just curious. They wanted to be in the know of what was happening, but they didn't really want um, to be a part of uh, the, the doctrine, the teaching, um, and, and this new Christian experience that, that Peter and John were a part of. Many people want the blessings of God, but they do not want the blesser. They want the healing, but they do not want the healer. Perhaps that's why Jesus rebuked the crowd at one point, and he said, You seek me not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. That comes from John chapter 6, verse 26. They wanted the bread, the physical bread, but they didn't want the bread of life, the giver uh, and the sustainer of life. question I want you to think about at this point, how can we be sure that we are pointing people to Jesus Christ and not just to the benefits that he offers? Uh, so I'll, I'll answer that um, for me. Um, how can we be sure that we're pointing people to Jesus and not just to his benefits? Is We've got to teach the whole gospel, the whole counsel uh, of God. Uh, the full gospel and understand what it means to be a sinner and what it means to repent of our sins and what it means to turn to him and turn away from sin and toward God uh, and not just uh, preach and teach about you know uh, monetary blessings or physical blessings all of those are part of the gospel they they are uh, and they're very very important but we don't need to to overlook um, the more important the more weighty matters uh, of the gospel which is uh, the plan of salvation, forgiveness of sins, uh, and those sort of things. Verse number 12, And when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people. Peter never missed an opportunity to preach Jesus. If you read through the book of Acts, you'll, you'll see that. And what a perfect setting to witness uh, to, to these people. A powerful miracle had just been performed, had just been taken place, and a great crowd has gathered. Everyone has the same question. How in the world was this man healed? How did this happen? We also need to take advantage of every opportunity to lift up the name of Jesus. We're probably not going to be in the same setting as Peter and John and have a crowd around us like they did on that day in Jerusalem. But we can all share what Jesus has done for us, how he saved us, how he has healed us, how he has blessed us, um, how God has answered prayer for others that we've heard of. Uh, we can all uh, tell others about Jesus and what he's done for us in our lives. Verse 12, Ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Or why look ye so earnestly on us as though by our own power or holiness we had made this man walk? This is a key to, to understand for us as well, is even when God works through us and uses us to do, say, a mighty miracle like this or to witness to someone or uh, to uh, to tell somebody about Jesus or... Um, to speak a word of faith, a word of knowledge, word of wisdom, any of the other gifts of the Spirit, uh, it is not to lift us up. And, if that's, and that, if that's our intent and if that's the true motive of our heart, uh, then our heart is in the wrong place. 
Uh, Peter wanted to immediately set the record straight on how this man was healed. He wanted to make sure everyone understood it was not by his or John's power that this man was healed. It was by the power of Jesus Christ. Too many churches, ministries, and ministers today are self-edifying. They want the spotlight on themselves. They want others to believe that they are super spiritual and the power of God only operates in their lives. Peter and John operated in the miraculous, but they kept the spotlight on Jesus. That's what we need to do as well. We need to keep the spotlight on Jesus Christ, not on us. Verses 13 through 15. The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified his son Jesus, whom ye delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate, when he was determined to let him go. But ye denied the Holy One and the just, and desired a murderer to be granted unto you, and killed the Prince of Life, whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. So Peter appealed to the Jews on some common ground. They would all agree that they believed in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. All Jews would agree on that. However, Peter turned their attention then toward Jesus. He declared boldly that Jesus was the Son of God and that the Father had exalted him to a place of glory and honor. This message is essential to the doctrines of Christianity. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is deity. He is the second person of the Trinity. He is co-equal and co-eternal with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. Any doctrine that denies the deity of Jesus Christ is false and should be rejected. That should be obvious to us, but you would be surprised how many people uh, fall into uh, the false doctrines um, that, that are out there today uh, that teach a different Jesus Christ, Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnesses, others. Pilate was determined to let Jesus go because he found no fault in him. However, the Jewish mob insisted that Pilate release Barabbas and to crucify Jesus Christ. Peter placed the blame for Jesus' death squarely on the shoulders of the Jewish mob. Now, many have taken this as an opportunity to persecute the Jewish people. The fact is, we are all responsible for Jesus' death, even those of us who did not live during the time that Jesus walked on the earth. It is because of our sin, each and every one of us, every single person who has ever walked on the planet, that Jesus Christ died on the cross. That cup that he drank from, that he talked about in the Garden of Gethsemane, was filled with the sins of every single one of us. Uh, it was God's plan, obviously, for Jesus to die on the cross even before he created the heavens and the earth. He died there for the sins of all humanity, past, present, and future. Therefore, in a sense, we all placed the crown of thorns on Jesus' head. We all drove the nails into his hands and his feet. We all pierced his side because it was our sin that he bore in his own body on the tree. 1 Peter 2 and 24. Again, Peter's message was simply the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This message is the core of Christianity. The witness of the apostles to the resurrection of Jesus Christ is one of the most powerful proofs that the resurrection is true. The apostles faced persecution and in most cases even martyrdom or death because of their faith. And the, the key component to their faith was their witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If the resurrection of Jesus Christ were not true, and the apostles knew that, they would have never laid down their lives for something that was false. 
they laid down their lives for Jesus and they laid down their lives for their faith because they knew and were convinced it was true because they had seen Jesus before his death and they had seen Jesus after his resurrection. Verse 16. And his name, through faith in his name, hath made this man strong, whom ye see and know. Yea, the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. So again, Peter declares plainly that this man was healed through the name of Jesus. It didn't happen through the name of Peter or John or any of the other apostles. It was only through the name of Jesus. Uh, There is power in the name of Jesus. And at the name of Jesus, the lame walk. At the name of Jesus, the deaf can hear. At the name of Jesus, the blind can see. The dead are raised back to life. At the name of Jesus, demons flee. The forces of darkness are defeated. At the name of Jesus, there is complete and total victory over any situation or circumstance. We have been given the authority to use the name of Jesus. Not only is there power in it, but we have the authority to use it and invoke that name of Jesus. Jesus told his disciples, if you ask if you shall, excuse me, ask anything in my name, I will do it. That's John chapter 14, verse 14. What a powerful statement, right? We have the promise that if we ask for anything in the name of Jesus, according to the will of God, he will answer our prayers. But how do we ask in the name of Jesus? Well, first you've got to ask in prayer, right? This is why prayer is so vitally important to a Christian. We communicate with God and bring our petitions to him through prayer. Second, we have to ask in faith. Peter said that it was through faith in his name, the name of Jesus, um, that this man was made strong, that he was healed. Simply placing one's faith in the name of Jesus Christ, believing who he is and what he has done, will move the hand of God and will open up the door to the miraculous. We all have been given a measure of faith, but I think we could all admit that our faith is not perfect. We should be like the man who said to Jesus in one place, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. That comes from Mark chapter 9, verse 24. We can pray to God for strength and to strengthen our faith, and he will answer our prayer. We must also be willing to exercise our faith. Your physical muscles will not grow unless you exercise them. The same is true with our faith. As we continue to exercise our faith, our faith will grow. The key is to exercise the faith you already have and root out any unbelief that may be hindering your prayers. Verses 17 through 18. And now, brethren, I would that through ignorance you did it, as did also your rulers. But those things which God before had showed by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ should suffer, he has so fulfilled. So Peter tells the crowd that it was through ignorance that they had rejected Christ and crucified him. However, he also tells them that it was God's plan that Christ would suffer and die on the cross to fulfill thousands of years of prophecy and God's eternal plan of salvation. Verses 19 through 21. Repent ye therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. This was the beginning of Peter's altar call, right? If, if we're talking about Peter 
giving a sermon here, in a sense he was, um, to, to those that are listening at this time. This, this is the altar call. When we preach, teach, or witness to someone, it should always be done with the purpose of leading someone to a decision. In Peter's case, the message was that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he died for the sins of the world, and that he was raised from the dead. Then Peter placed before them a decision. Continue to reject Christ or accept him as Lord and Savior. We too should lead others to respond to the word and surrender to Jesus regardless of the situation. Notice Peter told them they needed to be converted. Becoming a Christian is not simply turning over a new leaf. It is becoming a new creation in Christ Jesus. That comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, verse 17. How has Jesus Christ changed your life? In what ways are you a new creation in Christ Jesus? That'd be a different answer for all of us, right? But if you had time to sit and think about that, how, how has Jesus Christ changed your life? What are some ways that, that you're now a different person than you were before you got saved? I hope you can say that there has been a change. Uh, I hope you can say that um, you are a different creation, a new person in Christ Jesus. When we all are saved, um, Romans chapter number 6, I believe it is, gives us a a wonderful depiction of what takes place, and it's really a picture of baptism. When we are, when we're saved, um, there's a spiritual reality that takes place, and we're changed through the power of the Holy Spirit that comes in and dwells in us. And then when we're baptized, it's a it's an outward sign of what's already taken place spiritually. But when we go under the water, and we're taking down in baptism. That's a picture of the death and the burial of Jesus Christ. And it's also a picture of the death and the burial of the old man, the old person that we were. And when we come up out of the water, it's a picture of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's a picture of us being raised into newness of life with Jesus Christ. Uh, so I hope you can say uh, many ways uh, and answer many things to that question on, on how God has changed your life. Verses 22 and 23. For Moses truly said unto the fathers, a prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren, like unto me. Him shall ye hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. And it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. Peter warned the people that there are consequences to not responding to the word of God. Moses spoke of a prophet that would be raised up. Samuel and all the prophets spoke of a coming Messiah. If the people refused to listen to the words of the prophet, they would be destroyed. Therefore, this was not a new message. This was the same message that had been preached by Moses and the prophets. The prophet that the Lord shall raise up is, of course, uh, as we know today, is Jesus Christ. Verses 24 and 25. Yea, and all the prophets from Samuel and those that follow after, as many as have spoken have likewise foretold of these days. Ye are the children of the prophets, and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham, And in thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. It's what we refer to as the blessing of faithful Abraham. That comes from Galatians chapter number 3, verse number 9. Through Abraham, the seed, or the Messiah, and that word, that, that word the seed there comes from uh, Genesis chapter number 3, verse 15. The seed, or the Messiah, that came into the world 
uh, so that all the nations of the earth could be blessed. The blessing of Abraham is what we call justification by faith. Abraham believed in God and he counted it to him for, for righteousness. That's Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. That same process, just believing in God, placing your faith in the promises of God and, and the covenant of God, is what saved or what justified Abraham. Abraham was not justified by works. Even though he lived in Old Testament times, he was not justified by works. He was justified by faith. And the same thing is true with us today. We're under a new covenant, but we are justified uh, in uh, God and in Christ by faith in him and what he has accomplished for us and in the new covenant that he's established. Verse 26. Unto you first, God, having raised up his son, Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from his iniquities. So God sent Jesus to the Jews first to bless them and to offer them the forgiveness of, th of sins through justification by faith. However, as we shall see throughout the rest of the book of Acts, salvation is also for the Gentiles. That's us, right? And the ministry to the Gentiles will become a priority of the church as we get a little bit further along in the book of Acts. So we're going to go ahead and get into just a little bit of chapter number four uh, before, I, before I finish this particular teaching. Um, I want to get through verse number 12 in chapter number four, uh, and I have a specific reason for doing that. So we're going to continue on. Chapter number four, verse number one. And as they spake unto the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. So the captain was part of what would be, we could think of as like the police force of the temple area during that time. The captain, along with the priest, the the priest would be the high priest, and the Sadducees came to arrest Peter and John. The phrase "came upon them" indicates that they seized them suddenly and forcefully. So, in other words, these guys weren't very happy with what Peter and John were doing and preaching and teaching in the name of Jesus. Verse two being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. So you see the problem, right? It wasn't just that they were preaching Jesus, but they were also preaching the resurrection from the dead. And if you know anything about the Sadducees, you know uh, that they did not believe in the resurrection from the dead. The Pharisees did, the Sadducees did not. And the Sadducees were made up um, what we uh, would know as the, uh, the Sanhedrin or the Sanhedrin Council, uh, and so understanding that these two guys, Peter and John, are preaching uh, not only the name of Jesus, but the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, which they don't believe in, uh, this is causing them some, some major heartburn here. Uh, and uh, they're going to try to stop these guys from, from doing this. The fact that the apostles were preaching the resurrection of Jesus from the dead was upsetting for, for two reasons. It was the teaching of Jesus as the Messiah... Uh, and his resurrection from the dead. They were a threat to their beliefs uh, and their position and influence over the people, the Jewish people. Verses 3 and 4. And they laid hands on them and put them in hold or in prison until the next day, for it was now eventide. In other words, it was getting late in the day, uh, and so they're going to put them in prison until the next day. Howbeit, many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men was about 5,000. So despite the persecution from the Jewish religious leaders and the Sadducees here, the word of God continued to be preached and the church continued to grow. Uh, now there's obviously 
on the day of Pentecost, we read that 3,000 souls were saved on that day. Uh, the indication is to hear that at a minimum, that number has now grown to 5,000. Uh, some believe that perhaps even this is an additional 5,000. Some believe that um, this, this indicates that the number had grown to 5,000. Regardless, uh, it's a large number of people who have been saved in a short amount of time, a short period of time. And so it's a, it's a true testimony uh, to the power of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verses 5 and 6. And it came to pass on the morrow that their rulers and elders and scribes and Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and as many as were of the kindred of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. So on the next day, there's a large group of, of Jewish religious leaders, including the high priest Annas. They gather together and they bring in Peter and John. So this is, this is a great assembly all at one time of, of many of the high-ranking officials, perhaps all of the high-ranking officials uh, in the Jewish religious system. Uh, and so th perhaps there was a couple of reasons for this. Maybe they were trying to intimidate Peter and John. Um, maybe they were curious and wanted to hear uh, what Peter and John had to say. Um, but regardless, they were their purpose in doing this was to try to convince them to stop preaching about Jesus Christ and his resurrection. Uh, however, Part of the reason for bringing Peter and John before them for questioning may have been because they were curious. Like I said, uh, maybe they just wanted to know how this lame man was healed. They couldn't explain it themselves, uh, and they wanted to know uh, what took place here uh, because they certainly couldn't deny the miracle. Uh, the miracle was right in front of them, uh, so they had to try to come up with some sort of explanation. Verse number 7. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or what name have you done this? And I could imagine if I were to say that today, I mean, I'm so glad you asked, right? Uh, if there was one question that, that Peter and John were just, you know, sitting on the edge of their seat waiting to answer, it was that question. Um, he had already, Peter had already proclaimed it, though. He had already said by what power and what name the lame man was healed uh, when he preached to the crowd on the previous day. However, this was an invitation for Peter to preach the gospel to the Jewish religious leaders. See how God opened, opens doors? Uh, he opened the door to, for them to preach to, to those that were just gathered in the temple that day. Now he's assembled all these religious leaders in one place at one time for Peter and John to provide one message uh, that, that teaches uh, and talks about the name of Jesus Christ. Um, don't, don't ever think that God won't open up doors like that for you as well. Uh, he'll do it. Verse number 8, or the first part of verse number 8. Then Peter filled with the Holy Ghost. Hold right there. Uh, this is not referring to the infilling of the Holy Spirit that Peter received on the day of Pentecost. I believe that the idea is, is here is that Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit again at this moment for this moment. The infilling of the, the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost was not a one-time event. The apostles and the, and the others that we read about in the book of Acts were filled with the Holy Spirit repeatedly, over and over again. They were continually being filled with the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost uh, throughout their ministry. We too can be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. The initial baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues is not intended to be just a one-time event. Now there is a first time, but it doesn't mean it has to be the only time. Uh, we can be constantly and continuously filled with the Spirit Ephesians 5.18, 1 
just like our vehicles need to be refueled in order to keep running. Uh, we need to be refilled with the Holy Spirit to continue the work that God has called us to do. Verses 8 through 10. Uh, the last part of verse 8, excuse me, and then 9 and 10. Uh, said unto them, let me go back and read the first part of verse 8 so it'll make sense. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, You rulers of the people and the elders of Israel, if we this day, being examined of the good deeds done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is essentially the same message that Peter preached to the crowd, right? Um, immediately after the miracle took place. The simple answer to the question, by what power or by what name have you done this? It was by the name of Jesus. It was by the power of Jesus. This is the same Jesus that was crucified. The same Jesus that you hung on the cross. The same Jesus that God raised from the dead three days later. Peter declared plainly, it was because of faith in Jesus Christ that the lame man was healed. Just that simple, right? Uh, we don't need to make it complicated. We don't need to... Uh, to overcomplicate the gospel of Jesus Christ. When somebody asks us, how in the world could this happen? How, how could God do this? How could God move in this way? It's just simply because we have faith in Jesus Christ, in the power of Jesus Christ. It, it is really that simple. Verses 11 and 12, and we'll stop. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Peter says that Jesus is the stone that was rejected by the Jewish leaders. Rejected in the fact that they, they didn't accept him. They didn't believe in him and who he was, that he was God. They crucified him on the cross um, in an attempt to do away with him. But this same Jesus, Peter says, is become the head of the corner, the chief cornerstone. All of Christianity is built upon the person and the work of Jesus Christ. All other ground is sinking sand. The only means of salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in the name of Jesus Christ alone. Okay, There is no other way uh, of salvation. There is no other name, no other person, no other method, no other door, no other way to salvation other than through Jesus Christ. I don't care what anybody else teaches. I don't care what anybody else says. I don't care what any other denominations or organizations uh, try to say. There is no way to heaven. There are no other paths. There are no other ways to the Father except through Jesus Christ. Uh, there are not many paths that all lead to heaven. Okay, There is only one path, and it's the straight and narrow way. It's not the wide and the broad way. It is the straight and the narrow way. Uh, that leads directly from the cross of Calvary into the throne of the Father in heaven. Uh, it is that simple. Jesus Christ summed it up in John chapter number 14, verse number 6. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Now, I don't know who's listening to this. Um, I don't know who this will get shared with, so... I want to take an opportunity at the end here just to um, talk to you just a minute about that very fact that Jesus is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. 
If you're listening to this and you don't know who Jesus Christ is, you've never accepted Him as your Savior, you've never surrendered to Him, you've never repented of your sins, this is an opportunity that you have that God has given you today, at this moment, wherever you are, to accept Jesus Christ in your heart. It's exactly that simple. All you do is say, God, I admit I'm a sinner. God, I admit I'm in need of salvation. God, I believe that Jesus Christ is the only way, the only truth, and the only life, the only way to salvation. I believe in what he did for me at Calvary's cross. I believe he took the nails. He took the crown of thorns. He took the beating. He died on the cross and shed his blood. He took my place. He drank of that cup that I put those sins into so that I could be forgiven and could be saved. So Jesus, I, I accept you as Lord and Savior of my life. I confess you as Lord and Savior of, of my life. And I choose to turn away from this world, turn away from sin, and turn towards you and to serve you. If you'll pray that prayer, Jesus Christ will save your soul. Thank you for joining us. Please feel free to share comments, prayer requests, or praise reports. Check back soon for additional episodes.